This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Imagine studying really hard for a final exam in biology. You spend hours down in the library, reading the textbook, poring over your notes, doing practice questions, only to show up on test day to find out, hey, this isn't a bio test, it's a history exam. That's kind of what it's like when a product designer builds something that it turns out people don't actually want. The business has invested tons of time and money into a total dud. It can be a company's worst nightmare. Well, today's founder, Dennis Mang, says he has a way to stop those nightmares. His startup, User Interviews, a system for testing what you're building with actual customers. And he's in the pitch room today to see if the investors want what he's selling. He's hoping to raise $4 million. From Gimlet, this is The Pitch. I'm Josh Muccio. Today's investors are Phil Nadell. As a serial entrepreneur, Phil built companies that sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. Now he manages Forefront Venture Partners, one of the largest syndicates on AngelList. Jillian Manis. Jillian is a partner at Structure Capital, where they've invested $98 million so far in high-profile startups like Uber. Michael Hyatt. Michael built and sold two software companies for over $500 million, and now he invests for himself. Charles Hudson. Charles started Precursor Ventures, where he's invested $20 million in over 100 startups to date. All right, on with the pitch. Hi! How's it going? Hey, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Dennis. Nice to meet you. Hey, I'm Charles. Dennis, nice to meet you. Hey, Dennis, Dennis, I'm Phil. Nice to meet you. I'm Michael. Uh, I figure that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Dennis. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Okay, Dennis. Let's hear it. Awesome. So, uh, hey, everyone. My name is Dennis. I'm one of the co-founders and I'm the CEO of User Interviews. Uh, Before I get started, uh, any of you log into MySpace this morning? MySpace? Yeah. My no, rock I invested in MySpace and... at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I figure you probably didn't log in this morning. Um, anybody get here on a Segway? No. <laughs> uh, and then the last one, anybody wearing Google Glass today? No. The common thread here, uh, all three of these products are widely considered to be failures and super expensive failures, right? Right. Um, and the thing is, thousands of products fail every single year. Uh, my last startup was one of them. Um, <laughs> Uh, and the number one reason products fail is that uh, they don't understand their users and they build a product that their users don't want. Luckily, there's a super easy solution here. You talk to your users. And so that's where we come in. Uh, we've built a software platform that makes it super easy for companies to bring in their users for any type of product or market research. And so that's why companies like Spotify, Pinterest, Wayfair, and Vistaprint, uh, hundreds of others are using our platform every single month. Quick note, you may have heard that Spotify owns Gimlet and this show, but they acquired us a few months after Dennis came in. Anyway, back to the pitch. So we're raising $4 million. Um, The goal here is to get our platform at every company so they can make better decisions and ultimately better products. Can you give us an example of how that works? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the first thing we think of ourselves as the coordination layer, uh, the participant management layer, and the just logistics layer. We're not the platform where people actually conduct the tests. So I'll get I'll explain more holistically how that works. I see your brows furrowing. <laughs> this is a veteran move. Seeing the investors' eyes start to glaze over, Dennis tries again, using plain English this time. So the first thing that happens is uh, a product manager, a designer, or a marketer basically decides they have some sort of question that they need to talk to users about. Um, our platform then goes to work and manages all of the logistics behind screening candidates, gathering more information about them, figuring out who you want to invite, then inviting those users to the study, uh, and then paying them for their time. Uh, so ultimately, we're the platform that makes sure that the person that you want to talk to shows up at the right spot when you want to talk to them. Sounds like so, you're just doing logistics, the logistics of logistics it. You're platform. arranging the, the meeting, you're having them come in. You're, you're, you're providing you're them high quality. Sending the reminders, yeah. you're paying them. We provide the people, one, or, or they can upload their own. Mm -hmm. And then we provide uh, basically cases. a workflow automation. So how do you range. charge Wayfair? Walk us through the revenue. Yeah, um, we charge per participant that we recruit for one of our client studies. What's the average of, of that? On average, yeah. uh, it's $30 per participant. It sounds like in a lot of ways what you're Sorry, oh, I, I do want to answer the last part yeah, of the question oh, because yeah, I think sure. this is important. Um, so there's basically um, two parts of our product today. Um, the first is the workflow that I walked you guys earlier where you can come through, um, you can invite people from our audience or yours, we manage all the logistics. The second part of the platform is what we're calling our research hub. Uh, the research hub we just launched a, hand, a couple months ago, uh, that's a subscription offering. And that's for companies that want to be tracking their users across you know, their entire company. And so they're paying a monthly fee for that. How much? Uh, so we're in the middle of closing uh, our first, uh, it's about a $42,000 co annual contract. The research hub that Dennis just mentioned is the pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. Because it's a recurring subscription product that Dennis can sell to much bigger companies at a much bigger price, which should be a lot more appealing to investors than the paltry 30 bucks they get for arranging an interview with a user. Who do you see as your most direct competitors? We see people using Google Spreadsheets and Excel and even Salesforce and HubSpot. The, you know, the difference there is that they don't offer any of the workflow automations that we do, so they're not built for this research use case. And how are you better, different, complementary? Yeah, so what we're doing is we're taking that data that they fill out and we're using that to enhance the profiles of all the participants in our audience. Oh, and that makes us better at finding participants for the companies that we're working with moving forward. And if one company comes to us and asks a series of questions, we capture that data that they've asked. And then if another company comes and asks similar questions, we know who to target to deliver a participant. You're saying to that you're other building company. up profiles about the participants by the surveys they're completing. Exactly. Tell us a little bit about your experience, your background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I was a computer science uh, major at Yale, um, graduated in 2012, uh, worked in consulting for a year. Uh, that's where I met my first co founder. We worked there for about a year, had an itch to start building products. Mm -hmm. um, I talked about my first company that failed, uh, it was a mobile app for business travelers. Um, we built product for a year, year and a half, picked our heads up and had no users. Um, that's when we started realizing, okay, let's talk to users. Let's figure out how to solve this problem. Yeah, my wife said I shouldn't say this on air, um, but we basically, uh, our solution was to go buy refundable plane tickets, um, go sit at airport security, um, and then just talk to people waiting for their flights. So in your, in your failed company, you're saying you couldn't find users or you couldn't find 
people to survey to get input. So we we so both. Both. Okay. <laughs> um, but on the second front, we were trying to get people to give us feedback on the product. And you couldn't get. We didn't know where to find them. We didn't know where to find them. So we went to airports. Mm-hmm. I think um, that's brilliant. Thank you. So this new company yeah. is solving a problem that you were experiencing with your yeah, old company. Yeah, 100%. So far, Dennis has yet to miss a beat, and he's staying in control of the conversation. In fact, he's handling the investors so well that when we come back, they decide to test him a little bit. I want to throw something out and see how you respond to this. Perfect. Um, what if I told you that I think there's a chance that you may be totally wrong? This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back to the show. Founder Dennis Meng has handled the investors' questions with poise and clarity, but Michael's been awfully quiet, which is never a good sign. I want to throw something out and see how you respond to this. Perfect. Um, what if I told you that I think there's a chance that you may be totally wrong? That's something that's been bothering me since you started. Okay. There's a weird thing about humans is that they're often not correct. And sometimes survey rooms and putting people together, they don't always answer the question. Sometimes there's so much bias or this and that doesn't quite work. Yep. I think you might face your own Uberization. I think that if you look at the trend of AI right now, the trend is that the part of artificial intelligence, which is getting really cheap and really, really good, is prediction. Not judgment, but prediction. Mm -hmm. And I would hazard a guess that the company that'll do better than you would be a company that gets out there and goes up to Wayfair and saying, these three tables with three, three colors are going to be the next things you should build. And it'll be much more reliable than you getting in humans into a room, getting everybody for 30 bucks and whatever. I think I could invest in your company. And I think for the next two, three years, you can make some money. But I don't think you're going to be right for long because I believe we have to wipe out all the people and you have to make a prediction engine that does way better than what you're doing because prediction, as math gets cheap, predictions get really, really, really useful. Yeah, so uh, so here's why, why you're wrong. Uh, so there's two reasons. Before a product goes live, you need to figure out what to build. You need to figure out what direction you want to invest your resources in as a company before you actually have a product that you can test out there. Uh, and so that's why you need to have conversations with users to guide that before you actually have a tangible product that you want to predict something about. The second point about AI and predictions. So I just had a conversation two days ago with the a director of user research at Microsoft. And the way he sees the world evolving is that, you know, there's a lot of tech around emotional analysis, basically, you know, face analysis of what people's emotions are as you're having a conversation. There definitely is going to be an overlap between AI and these conversations. So and how so come Amazon, over, entire overlay, Amazon sorry, runs on prediction huh? engines? Amazon has a massive user research team. Right. And they're pulling people into rooms all the time at 30 yes. bucks a head? Yep. 
So that's how they're they're scaling Amazon through through rooms of users. Yeah. So uh, Microsoft they're expecting to bring in a hundred thousand people over. You know, maybe not next year, but in a couple of years. So down the, the trend line. on Amazon and Microsoft is more people in rooms and less less. I wouldn't AI. say less. less. I, I think, think it's they're complementary. They're yeah. you have to do both of them. Uh, and Amazon is releasing production code every eleven seconds. Um, they so you believe in the decide. future that rooms will get bigger, more people, and 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 prediction will just follow it. I don't think AI is going to no. replace the touch. Hold on, I want to touch. see him do it. Like, I would, yeah. yeah. So uh, we think they have to be complementary. Okay. Uh, and that's a big piece of it. By the way, you're doing a very good job of controlling the flow of this pitch. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're all trying to pull you in different directions, and I think you're just doing a really good job of keeping us on task it. and on schedule. <laughs> and like that doesn't always happen here. Yeah, I've found that if I don't finish, the people make assumptions if I don't answer questions, and it's that's, it gets messy. No, that's really, really good. What's the size of the addressable market, would you say? Yeah, so um, so ultimately, any company that builds a product, uh, we think will be a user of what we're building. Uh, and so there are 3 million product companies out there in industries that we're already working with. Uh, and so, you know, even if any of, even if each of those spends $100 a month, um, you know, that's a $4 billion opportunity. How do you price your enterprise product? So, um, to give you an example, um, there's a music streaming company mm-hmm. that has um, hundreds of employees. Um, so they have 50 full-time researchers plus 300 plus employees, full-time like product managers, designers, okay. marketers. Um, you know, so, you know, between them, they're spending $40 million on their product team that's trying to, you know, trying to build better products. Uh, for us, we make them all more efficient. We think that's easily a $400,000 opportunity for us. And that's what we're going after. We've already started penetrating. Oh, oh, okay, so slow that down. Organization. I, Go ahead. You're going to, you just told me that you're, you believe your average ticket size is 400000 Because that's my question. What do you think your average enterprise ticket price is? Yeah, so it will be in the range of fifty to 60000 Okay, that sounds more right to me. Mm-hmm. But as we get to... You know, so first thing that we'll do is we'll get every researcher at this company using the product, and that's the first fifteen thousand. Well, you think, right? So it's your supposition. So you think there's a land and expand program, hundred percent. And, and what are you telling your investors for, by the end of twenty nineteen? Your sales are going to be? We expect it to be about five million uh, run rate, uh, run, ARR run rate. Yes. And how we, much of basically that is grown. your front end versus your back end? Let's call it. So. Just to give you a context behind that $5 million, mm-hmm. uh, we've grown 10% month over month since we raised our seed round February of 2017. We went from $25,000 a month to $150,000 a month in bookings. So even if we just continue that 10% month over month growth, that's get, that's what gets us to that $5 billion run rate. And a lot- to, oh, yeah, another question, just want to follow up on that. Um, to the split between how much of that's going to be software, how much that's going to be um, rec- recruiting, um, we expect it to be about 30% software 2019, but then 50 to 60% software by end of 2020. Okay. And that's, so let me, that's let me, what just, we've let me just rearticulate your business okay. for you so I understand it. And please tell me if I'm wrong. Yep. You're, you have very nascent revenue on the enterprise. Most of it's on the survey side in the Correct. front. And you're raising $4 million now. Yes. Okay. And you think your average ticket price is going to be around 50000 and then you're going to land and expand, which is, yes. by the way, so, typical. Yeah. And but to, I think the one nuance here is that these companies that will be on this $50,000 ticket price, we're not going in cold and saying, yeah, already, we're already, already there. They're already yeah. spending already $10,000, $20,000 a month with us. And so we're going to go in and say, look, all of your teams are already using our platform, some of them for the recruiting, right. some of them for 
the software piece. Yeah. Uh, and so, so why not track? But yeah. you're still in the kind of a bit of a test track. I mean, I know I, I admire the confidence, but um, you the test track still is for this company. Would you agree with me that for this company to be worth a lot of money, that software side needs to really, really grow? Yep. Mm-hmm. And the, the part that's worth more hasn't really started yet. And then you're that's where you are. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want me to admit that on air, like, yes. I'm not trying, you're not on trial. What I'm trying to do is ask where you are because you're asking us for money. Because there's a big difference between saying, I think people are going to spend 400 grand or 50 grand, whether you've done it or not. That That's like, that's a very big distance, right? Yeah, no, understood. No, I, I totally understand. And I think that's, um, you know, I think there is partially a leap of faith in this round. Okay, what was it the last round? How, how much uh, have we you raised? We raised uh, safe at an 8 million valuation. 8 million? Yes. Okay. And how much? Uh, so we've ultimately raised 1.7 million total. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're doing four million, right. not of eight. Okay. Dennis, what? And what valuation? Um, that's for I think for you guys to decide. What do you think the and valuation I think the, is? I think fairly we would expect to be in the eighteen million dollar range. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. I mean, I think we don't. We're not trying to give away a third of the company on this round. Um, I think based on the pipeline, and once you see the companies that we're already in. Um, and how we expect to grow from what they're spending with us today to getting to those $50,000 contracts, we don't think that's a huge leap. Well, let me, uh, let, so, me let me just pair it back your numbers too, right? Sure. So at the end of 2019, about $2 million will be enterprise revenue, right? The way you're defining enterprise, you're talking about the software piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure, yes. So if you put a 10x on that, where are you going to be in a year from now? It's worth about $20 million. Well, so, I mean, you're discounting the uh, other side of the business to zero, which I don't think is entirely fair. Give it something, but I'm saying okay, 20, 25 million at best if you hit your numbers exactly. I, I think that's right. Now. I think if you I mean, if you want to value the business strictly off of multiples, I think that is a way that you can look at it. Like honestly, we're not Love optimizing that. for price. We're optimizing for people that understand the vision, can add value to us as we grow to that next stage. Well, no, and that's so, not true. You just said five minutes ago. You said I'm not. I'm not going to give up a third of my company. So you are optimizing for price. A third of the company would be a at $4 million would be $12 million. Right. So I'm just saying to you, it is about price as well. Yes. I think I think there's an absolute floor to the price. Okay. I think there is a floor to the price. We're definitely not going below $12 million. Okay. This one's really tough for me. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm looking at the next SurveyMonkey or MailChimp mm-hmm. kind of opportunity that seems really straightforward, excellent execution, and ends up being... 50 or 100 times bigger at scale than it looks on the surface, or if I'm looking at a business that's very good and very solid, but has some kind of natural cap on scale. And it has all the elements that I like to see. I believe the network effects part of your audience recruitment piece. I believe the software piece. There's something about it that it's like a near fit. The pieces don't (laughs) exactly fit together for me, and I can't, I've been struggling for the last 15 minutes to figure out what it is. And I don't think I'm going to get there. And I don't think it's anything you didn't say. I think this is one of the clearest, strongest presentations I've seen on the pitch. I think it just, for some reason, I can't seem to get there on the absolute size of the opportunity. And I wish I could give you a clear reason as to why. No, appreciate that. So I'll go. Um, you might be surprised by me saying this, but actually I'm quite interested. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're super smart and I like the argument and I like the back and forth and I enjoy the way you thoughtfully argue with us. <laughs> um, I think you got a lot going for you. Uh, I would like to come into your round. I think you're super smart. I like your hustle and I 
Uh, my gut's good about this one. Thank you. So I appreciate it. How much were you going to invest? I think I put uh, but, yeah between fifty to one hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. Great. Love to continue the conversation and keep, sure. keep that going. So I, I have um, sort of similar feelings. I have a really good feeling about you. You're obviously very bright, early stage, but you know it seems like you're growing quickly, ten percent month over month. Thank and you. You're at, you know good revenue so far. You're smart enough to realize that um, it would make a lot of sense to introduce a recurring revenue product, which you're doing. Um, and and for me, I obviously need to see what the valuation is to see what I'm investing in, but. Uh, I'd like to invest 300000 Very cool. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so um, I love logistics. I love the logistics company. And interestingly enough, I was just speaking at a CTO conference okay. um, and had a lot of the product designers there. And this is one of the the conversations that kept coming up. Yeah. Um, and it is amazing how immersed they are in the users. Um, more so than they said that they have ever been. They were saying that they use the every uh, opportunity to talk about a product and and try something out. And 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 so this is just um this is a constant problem, but a very a fascinating space. So uh I'd like to commit right now 100,000 of my own money as an angel. That'd be awesome. Okie dokie, there you go. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> Quite the Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, appreciate it. Great meeting all. Dennis leaves the room with 450K in commitments from investors. That's when I popped in the room to ask about a few key moments from Dennis's pitch. So I want to start when Charles, you told Dennis he's doing a great job controlling the room. What does that tell you when a founder does that? Like, what does that mean to you? It tells me they know how to sell. Because I think it's very easy, even in a one-on-one pitch, to let a VC take you where they want to take you in the conversation. And if you've given your pitch enough times, you know where the deep water is. And you know, hey, I can't let this person drag me into the deep water until we've actually finished this point. Mm. So many pitches get sidetracked by the VC going off on some, myself included, half-baked tangent. Me too. Or they say something that's interesting and you want to spend a bunch of time on it, but it's not really critical or relevant, as Jillian said, to understanding the pitch. I think he did a really good job of politely just saying, hey, well, we'll get to that. But first we have to finish this. And I think part of a good pitch is the entrepreneur needs to control the dialogue. He needs to control the flow of the conversation. I thought he just did a really good job of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did. I was impressed. Mm -hmm. So the next moment that really stood out to me Michael, you asked Dennis about predictive AI essentially making this business obsolete in the future. And you said before you asked the question that you wanted to see, you wanted to hear how he responded to it. And of course, his first response was, I think you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Then he went on to explain it. Did he pass the test? Did he respond in the way you wanted him to? Um... You know, I, I I guess I like the fact that he is ardent in his position and that he believes in his business. Um, so yeah, I I I I'm the kind of investor that likes that kind of pushback if he really believes that. I said I think your whole business could be wrong, and his right. like he didn't like crumble. Now now everybody's going to come on the show next season and call me wrong. <laughs> You're right. <I> wrong. <laughs> I know what to do with you. But that's what you like. <laughs> no, you I You enjoy I, I, the back and forth. You enjoy I, someone well, telling I, I you Well, I just want to hear how they respond to it. I mean, it just yes. seems obvious to me, yes. but I thought he was super smart. I think this is one of the one of the better founders sharp, that we've had sharp, ever sharp. in this room. Yes. That's fantastic. He's now one of my more favorite pitches. I agree. Mm-hmm. 
So that pitch went pretty well. Not only did Dennis leave the room with almost half a million dollars worth of commitments, the investors seemed genuinely excited to work with him. But the question is, did those commitments turn into any money in the bank? We'll find out after the break. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back to the show. I caught up with Dennis about six months after he pitched in the room. I started with something I was curious about, which was how he was feeling when Michael said he thought user interviews could soon be obsolete. He challenged you by saying that like artificial intelligence is the future and that a lot of what you're doing right now would actually be replaced by AI. What were you thinking when when he asked that question and you said, you're wrong. Yeah, so uh, I think I didn't want that to, you know, that train of thought to derail the conversation that I was having with all of the other investors in the room. So I thought the best thing to do would be to stand my ground as firmly as I could. Uh, and so I think that's where the, uh, I think you're wrong yeah. uh, quote came out. He commented after you left the room that that was, um, that was great. Like he actually said nothing about what your answer was. He was just like, I like that he stood his ground and had a compelling answer. You know, I, I do have conviction in my beliefs. So um, when they ask questions like that, you, you do always want to stand your ground. And, uh, you know, I think it's equally as important, if not more important, to have strong reasoning behind why you're standing your ground. But uh, it's important to not be wishy-washy in those situations. Yeah, you did very well in the room. And in particular, like the investors gave you high marks for your ability to control the room. Where did you learn how to do that? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think it's easy potentially to let the room like frazzle you or like, it's, easy, it's easy to get caught up in the speed that investors are asking questions. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's, I think that's a trap. <laughs> uh, I think the, the key is to answer questions at your own pace and make sure you're conveying the information that you want to convey. Uh, I think, yeah, I think this pitch is no different than any pitch with you know, like a one-on-one -on -one pitch with an investor. You know, it's on the entrepreneur to control the story. Mm. No matter what questions are being asked, you know, it's, it's still on the entrepreneur to control the narrative and get out the points that they want to share. Yeah. So the pitch ended with you raking in commitments from three of the investors and it was totaling somewhere in the range of like $450,000, $500,000. So then you triumphantly walk out of the room. What happened next? Walked out of the room um, and followed up with the investors just to keep them warm. So emailed them all to continue that conversation. At the same time, we were trying to find a lead investor for our round. Uh, so biggest focus for us was 
trying to uh, identify that lead investor because they would then set the price. Yeah. Uh, and then we would follow up with the, uh, the remaining investors that were interested. Uh, it took us some time. We were going through the process with a handful of VCs. Ultimately, we were able to find our lead. Who did you find? Who's your lead? So Accomplice. Uh, Accomplice. Uh, so TJ Mahoney at Accomplice. Wait, Sarah Downey's fund? One of the other pitch investors? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Wait, didn't she, didn't they lead the last round? Yes, they did. Um, oh, it wow. was definitely a, a huge vote of confidence um, that they decided to lead this round as well. Uh, and so that was really exciting for us. And Accomplice settled on a $15 million valuation for user interviews, which is smack dab in the middle of the range talked about on the show. It's a price we're, we're very happy with. All right, so you have your lead investor. Uh, you guys mm-hmm. settle on some terms. Um, and then you go back to our investors who committed on the show. Walk me through what happens next. So uh, I followed up with uh, Michael, Phil, and Jillian. I followed up with all three. Uh, Jillian ended up uh, getting back to me and saying that the price was a little too high for them to participate. Um, but wish me luck, and you know that was a great interaction. And then Michael, what happened with Michael? Uh, Michael, unfortunately, we didn't hear back from. Uh, I think maybe, you know, I'm not sure what the reason was, but uh, we shot him a few emails, but never heard back. Okay. So we called Michael to find out what happened to all those emails. You guys are going to fire me soon, I swear. (laughs) No, wasn't planning on it. So... Michael, you were you were super engaged with Dennis during his pitch. And in fact, you really put him through the ringer. And then in the end, like you were like you were excited. You said, I'm ready to go in like you wanted to invest. But then Dennis wasn't able to get a hold of you afterward. Like what happened? You know, I'm going to have to take a mea culpa on this one. I think I I kind of messed this one up and I'll tell you what happened. After the show, you know, you're, you're deluged with a whole bunch of stuff and then you get back into your working life and then you have a whole bunch of deals going on. And I know this is a poor excuse for the people who listen to this show, but I literally dropped the ball on this one. And in fact, the sad part is, is that he was emailing an email address that I don't use as often. And it also went into my spam folder. And oh, then no. it, he did try to contact me a number of times. But I mean, the excuse sounds like my dog ate my homework and I don't blame this entrepreneur. You know, he did reach out. I, I did find the emails. It was too late. It, it was my screw up. Yeah. So he sent you three emails and all three of them went to spam? Yeah, I didn't get them. Damn. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, like I normally respond. No, that sucks. It's just like email, like email sucks. <laughs> no, I look at up. This might be the one that got away. Yeah, it probably is. It probably turns into an Uber or something. And then there's somebody to go back in the show and they'll be like, remember how it missed it. And that's totally possible. Okay, back to Dennis, who, as it turns out, seems to be taking the news pretty well. So Jillian and Michael fell through. How do you feel about that? Uh, I think it's just part of the process. Um, I think the uh, <laughs> this isn't the first time we've had worse situations in the past with investors committing, uh, actually hard committing, and then backing out later. So uh, really? this was, yeah, not terrible. I think this is, you know, sometimes people fall off, they lose interest or, you know, other things come up. 
Uh, and so we expected that that might be the case. Yeah. Phil ended up um, coming in and doing his due diligence and participating in the round. So that was great. How much did he invest? Yeah, uh, he invested 300000 Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. Um, so you were raising $4 million on the show. You found a lead. You set a valuation. Were you able to close the round and raise the full $4 million? Yeah, we actually ended up raising $5 million. What? In the round. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah. How did that happen? We just had, uh, we had a lot of interest in the round. And yeah, in the end, we were able to, we had more commitments than we had originally planned for. So we decided to raise five instead of four. So you're working with Phil now. He invested 300K. You've closed the round. You're moving on. What's it like? It's great. <laughs> I think it's uh, been, the last couple of years have been a wild ride. I think about Around this time, two years ago, we were just three co-founders. Now we have 23 full-time, and we're hiring across all different departments. 23 employees, wow. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's been a a great journey. We've got a long road ahead of us, and uh, there's a lot still to do, but we're excited about what the next two years could be. Not only did Dennis raise 300K from one investor, who by the way, has impeccable email etiquette, hat tip to Phil, but he raised $5 million in total. Apparently the spam folder can't keep this founder down. Our show is hosted by me, Josh Muccio, produced by Heather Rogers, Kareem Maddox, and Molly Donahue. We're edited by Blythe Terrell. Theme music by The Musemaker, original compositions from Breakmaster Cylinder, Bobby Lord, Billy Libby, and The Musemaker. We're mixed by Enoch Kim. Lisa Muccio planned the recording of this pitch. And here's our disclaimer, no offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pitch Show. And our mailbox is thepitch at gimletmedia.com if you want to say hi. And you can find more episodes of The Pitch for free on Spotify or wherever you listen. All right, we'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. See you then. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.